The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. That we really are connected to you, the vine, as we will read in a moment. Father, we truly can do nothing apart from you. We want to lift up also, Lord, a couple of our dear sisters. We want to pray for Linda. We want to pray for Shirley. We want to pray for Richard, Sherry's uh, husband. And we want to pray for Don, Linda's husband. Lord, you know all the details. We pray especially for them in this hour that you continue to bring healing. You give wisdom to doctors and strength and stamina to family and patients. It's, it's been a long two or three weeks for both sides of both families. Father, we thank you that you're with them. Father, as we lift up your word this morning, may you be lifted high. We pray in Jesus' name. Well, if you have your Bible, we're just going to read it right away. We're in John 15 this morning. If you want to join me in standing for God's Word, we do this as a way of just showing respect to God through it. John 15, 1 through 5. John 15, 1 through 5. Our our question today is, should or why should we do good works is kind of the title. Pastor Nelson and I went through this, and we kind of rephrased it five different times. Uh, Your bulletin probably says one thing. The slide probably says another. My notes probably says another. But we're going to talk about good works today. Does that make sense? John 15, 1 through 5. We're not unpacking. Guys, you could literally spend, um, you could spend a long time here. But we're in five verses this morning, and you know these verses well. May they be uh, just an encouragement to you this morning as we go through these. John 15, here it is. Jesus speaking in the upper room two things quickly. He has, he has uh, told them he's not returning. He's going to return to the Father. They've given up everything to follow him, yet here he is telling them he's not coming back. They'll have to figure that one out in the coming days. The second thing that's happened in this context before we get started is Judas, what they say about Elvis, he's left the building. Well, Judas has exited out the building, and he's gone. He's now speaking only to the 11 who are truly his disciples. Here he is, John 15, 1 through 5, Jesus speaking, God's word. I am the vine, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. He, the Father, takes away. And every branch that does not bear, he, that is the Father, prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already, verse 3, you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, verse 4, and I in you. And for as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Oh, if every church would underline that verse and plaster it on every plan they have, our churches would be straightened out in a jiffy. Not in a jiffy, but God would make sure of it in his due time. Will you pray with me this morning? It's good to see you. Let's unpack God's word together. Let's bow our heads as we answer this question from the congregation. Father, thank you so much for our time. We thank you for your word. It is your word. It's not the Book of Mormon. It's not the New World Translation of the Jehovah's Witnesses. It's not the Quran or Hadith of the Islamic faith. Father, it's not the Bahavagad Gita of the Hindus. Father, it's not uh, on liberty of, the, uh, uh, of those who believe in certain philosophical things. It is the word of God. These are your words. These are words for our kids, our grandkids, our souls, everyone we know. But Lord, you have given us straightforward truth this morning. May it be practical in the sense 
that we see what it is in our lives that we need to see by your Spirit in this passage that we must do to honor your name. We pray for our church as we look at this, that this is not just about us individually as Christians, although that's part, but corporately as a body of Christ that we go together with these verses in mind. Thank you for the dear brother who asked this question. It's a great question. Father, most of us in this room already know the answer. So, Father, in the midst of our knowledge, would you take away our pride and give us eyes of a child to see and hear and believe and listen and follow as we ought to, even in things we know well. We pray this this morning in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. I'm going to grab a stool here for just a second. Uh, but you have John 15 before you. Amy, if you want to go ahead and put up the first slide. You know, I don't know about you, but uh, we, we have things growing in our yard, but it does not look like this. Uh, many of you, uh, most times of the year, have fruit hanging literally from your vines or out of your garden that just looks good. You could just eat it all up, you know? I remember being, I, I'm going to pick on Don Harrison for a minute. We were talking about growing things one time in our class over here, and we were talking about growing tomatoes. And Don, in all his wisdom, if you know Don, you know Don, he's a man of few words. But once you get him going... He just looked at us in that class and said, why would I spend all summer growing tomatoes when I can go down to Hy-Vee and buy them for $1.30 all I want? And Don, I think that's about right. I'm with you. But God does call us to fruitfulness, doesn't he? In fact, Martin Luther, who we're going to talk about next week on Reformation Sunday, Halloween it is, yes, by calendar, but more importantly, Reformation Sunday is next week. We're going to be talking about Martin Luther. This is what he had to say. Amy will put up the quote. You may not be able to see it, so I'll read it for you. He said, God does not need your good works, but your neighbor does. Let me say that again. God does not need your good works, but your neighbor does. Two things about that. One, if we have not been absolutely clear in this church over the years, there's nothing good you can do to get to heaven. You can't be good enough, try hard enough, be most wise enough or whatever. The only way to heaven is through the risen son of God, Jesus Christ, by faith alone in Christ alone. That's it. Turn to him. If you're here and you're a non-Christian, we're so glad you're here, but that's it. But Martin Luther also frames this passage. We're getting ready. This came out of this commentary in this passage, but your neighbor does. Christian, there is a point at which God uses you as the only testimony some people see in their lives as to whether they believe in Christianity. Or to put it in another vernacular, sometimes you're the only Bible people will read. And that's true, isn't it? When people look at you and they look at your life, they look at your family, uh, they see things that are either for Christ or they see things that are against Christ. If you're a parent, there's a meme floating around Facebook right now where at ch it says at church and it has the, the family hugging each other and they're, they're smothering each other in love. But then it says discipline at home and it has like some crazy karate guy getting ready to tackle every child who gets out of line. We all have those things in our lives, don't we? We're in one place, we're good. Another place, we act out here. But how do we make ourselves, as John records Jesus saying, how do we connect ourselves to the vine so much that our good works are all about our lives? Not to be seen. Because didn't Jesus tell us not just to be seen? I mean, there are some people who walk around, and I'm guilty as charged with this, who have Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or whatever is popular these days, and they'll take a picture of themselves doing something in the name of Jesus, and they'll put it on Facebook and say, hey, look at what I did. Jesus said, not let your righteousness be known unto men. Be very careful about what you do. How do we balance all this? Isn't that a great question? Uh, the brother who asked this, I hope this is answering the question in the way he wanted but can we do these things apart from Christ? We cannot. The big idea today is simply this. The summary of the whole sermon, Amy will put it up. 
is that as the branches, we are the branches in John 15, as the branch receives all it needs from the vine, even so we find all sufficient grace in Christ alone. How do we do all this stuff? How do, we, how do we live for Christ without being prideful? How do we serve our neighbors without making a show of it? How do we do something for someone in the name of Jesus without patting ourselves on the back and say, oh, you did a good deed today, pastor, aren't you? God would be very proud of you. Because that happens more often than we think. In fact, the Bible says that all good deeds that are not done in faith are done in sin. But this is a question that I want you to think about because God does not justify. He doesn't save you and then abandon you. Christ saves you that you might be a blessing to other people. So three things this morning we're going to see. Three reminders, if you will, are truths about good works. We're going to recall that God's the vine dresser. And I'm going to be honest with you. I've read this passage numerous times. And when I hear the word vine dresser, I'm like, huh? What is that? We're going to talk about it. We're going to recognize Jesus as the true vine. And finally, we're going to see and remember that you and I are just a branch. Let's go to verse 1. Go to verse 1. You see there in verse 1, if you have your Bible with you, recall that God is the vine dresser. You see those fateful words, and Amy will put up the first point there, is that he says, I am. I am. Friends, this is the greatest phrase that you could hear in the ears as someone who is a Christian or not a Christian. When Jesus says, I am, he's hearkening back to Exodus 3.14, isn't he? When Moses was asked, who should I say is sending me to the people of Israel? And he says, God said, I am who I am. Now, that's a modern, you've heard that phrase before, haven't you? People use that to justify themselves. Well, you can't change me. I am who I am. Well, you're not God, buddy, so just cut it out and stop it, right? But Jesus says the very phrase that God the Father mentioned to Moses in Exodus 3.14 when he said, tell them the I am has sent you. There are seven times, in fact, in the Gospel of John that this is a descriptive thing. It tells the sovereign authority of Jesus. And you don't have to go there. I'll say them quickly. John 6, 35, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. John 8, 12, he says, I'm the light of the world. John 10, 9 says, I am the door. John 10, 11 says, I'm the good shepherd. John eleven twenty five 25 says, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, 6, you better know this one. I am the way, come on, the truth and the life. You got it. And finally, I am the true vine. Jesus is basically saying that he is the fulfillment of everything that was promised in the Old Testament. He is true Israel, if you want to use that phrase. In the old days, to be an Israelite was to be married in a certain bloodline. But now in Christ, Jew and Gentile are now free to mingle together. Red, yellow, black, and white, they are all precious in his sight. You get it. And Jesus says, I am the vine. So what is he saying here? Well, a vine or a vineyard... A vine or a vineyard is something that was very common in those days. A vineyard was everywhere. It's like driving through northern Missouri and seeing a cornfield, or I guess it's Iowa, or going to Wisconsin and seeing cheeseheads everywhere, or something like that. You get the point. This is the final I am statement, but he says, I am the true vine. Jesus says, look, he says, I'm not a vine. He says, I'm not a part of a vine. I'm not with Muhammad or Buddha. He says, I am the vine. That's it. It's directed. He's continuing what he says in these verses. He says, I'm the vine. He says, if you want to know the Father, you must come through me. And he goes on in verse 1, and he tells us who that is. He says in verse 1, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. 21 times in John 14, up until verse 15, chapter 15, verse 1, Jesus has used the word Father. 21 times. 
Jesus, being second person of the Trinity, now defers to his Father, who is the first person of the Trinity. And I want you to know this is important. The Father is the vine dresser. What in the world is a vine dresser? If if you're like me and you're silly in your mind and you're not trying to take away God's word, you see a vine and you like see a dress, like an actual dress on there. Like you, you know what I mean? We don't use this language anymore. A vine dresser. What is that? It's a farmer. It's 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 a horticulturalist. If you're into that language, it's someone who takes care of the crops. It's the master gardener, the the green thumb, the one who holds it all together, who makes it work. And I want you to know that this is the sovereign rule of God that he plays out in our lives. He is the vine dresser. He's the one who calls the shots in a lot of ways. Now, I'm going to say something. Many of you, this may surprise you. We talk much about Jesus, don't we? We should, right? Amen? We also, I think, have, have swung the pendulum to talk a lot about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And that's good because we've often lost that. But I think in today's world, we've often forgot the Father is also in the mix. Who did Jesus say to pray to? Our spirit who art in heaven? It's okay to pray to the spirit. Our father, right? Who is it that holds it all? The father does. And so he says the father. God is the vine dresser. He's the gardener. He's the the husbandman. He's the one who owns and operates the vineyard. He describes his father here as a way to teach us two lessons. And you'll see the first one up there. It's that God's plan has produced fruit in your life. No, you're not going to walk around and grow your favorite melon or fruit or vegetable out of your ears. That would be weird. But you'd be amazed at what comes to people's minds with this. When we say fruit, we mean your life is going to be patterned after what God would have for you. Parents, grandparents, just like you pray and desire for those young ones in your life, right? Even if they're teenagers now. The plan of your life is for God to make much fruit of it, to use it for his glory. Colossians 1, 10 says that bearing fruit pleases God. Matthew 21, 19 says that Jesus gives his most severe word for those who are not growing fruit, not showing spiritual produce, if you will, in their lives. Matthew 21, 43 makes it clear that God has chosen those who will be saved, and in doing so, they will bear spiritual fruit. You get nothing out of this lesson. Let me remind you, Christian, your number one goal in life is to bear spiritual fruit for Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father as worked out by the Spirit. That is your number one priority. Tower View Church, let me remind us of that this morning. Our goal here is not to make this sanctuary the coolest, hippest, most remodeled space in the coming years as we look at what needs need to be tackled here cosmetically and physically. Our goal is not to make a name for Tower View Baptist Church. We serve the name that is above all names, don't we? And his name is Jesus. And at his name, every knee, whether on the earth or under earth, is going to bow. It is about him. Parents, this is a good reminder. My family is entering. My wife has a certain birthday today. She's perpetually, perpetually 29 today. You didn't know that. But we're entering that stage of life, as many are our age, where our kids are getting involved in things. And those things take a lot of time. And they take a lot of money, amen? If you're a grandparent, bless you in your pocket strings because that's sometimes what carries us young families in those instances. But it's not making a name for ourselves. We had a dear family at our other church who they were into soccer. By golly, they were into soccer. Missed most Sundays because they were into soccer. And they were convinced if their son got a scholarship, all those trips and all that money and all that training was going to be worth it. 
Well, when you sit down and actually put out the number of money, the money you'll receive at a college education against the money you put into over 13 years of soccer, the 13 years of soccer is going to overtake the money pretty quickly. Be careful what you're making a name for yourself in your life. Look, catch this. Look at verse 2. He says, God does whatever he wants with the branch that doesn't believe this. Did you see verse 2? I wish we had time to unpack every nuance in here. There's so much. But I want you to see what happens if you don't bear fruit in your life. Jesus says, every branch, the branches are you and me that does not bear fruit. He takes away, and every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that he may bear fruit. What is he talking about here? Jesus is clearly talking about the fact that if you are not growing in Christ, if you show no fruit of the the character of Christ, if there's nothing in you that resembles Jesus, then you really probably didn't know Jesus at all. And that's scary because that is most people who have professed the name of Christ over the years, they fail to to really show forth fruit. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Think about that. These are people that have said at one time, I want to follow Jesus and then walked away with the rest of their lives to live like the rest of the world. These are people who, who walked a Billy Graham crusade in those days, prayed a prayer, walked down the aisle of the church. Hey, hallelujah, brother, you're saved. Got on a church roll and got voted out 20 years later because they hadn't been at church. These are people who want to have the religion of Christ but know nothing of the vine or the vine dresser of the word of Christ. So friends, I want you to catch that progression. God wants you to move from bearing no fruit to bearing fruit. So let's be clear. If you're not a Christian here today, for you to bear fruit, you must know Jesus. For you to come to Jesus, you must believe that he's the one the Father sent. There's no one else coming. It's kind of like that old dumb illustration we hear all the time, right? I think Robert Abens, you get this in my head because you use this all the time. I love it. It's like that guy who's stuck on a roof, right? And the, The waters are surrounding him. And he prays, God, save me. And a boat comes by. Oh, God's going to answer my prayer. And then I forget what happens next. Like a helicopter comes. And he says, no, God's going to save me. And finally, the flood's just overtaking him. And he dies. And he goes to heaven. He said, God, why didn't you save me? Well, I sent you a boat. I sent you a helicopter. I answered your prayer right there. Look, if you're here today looking for something other than the living Jesus, there's nothing coming. He's already answered your prayer. And it's all the yeses and amens are perfectly fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Amen? God's goal for your life is that you would be bearing fruit, that you would grow closer and closer to him. God is not up there three or seven or 25 different things in your life. God is at work to make you more like him, to make you more like Christ. His ultimate purpose is not to make me a better preacher, a better pastor. Ultimately, it's to make me a better son of God, lowercase s. Secondly, I want you to see this, that God is an expert at producing fruit from our lives. God's an expert. You want to pray a fun prayer? God, prune me, shape me, mold me, take me. I give my life to the potter's hand. You want a dangerous prayer? Go pray, God, whatever you need to change in my life, start it right now. And you come back next Sunday and tell me how it went. Because guess what? God's serious about it. What happens when you prune a tree? I saw a lady, we were coming home from a soccer game yesterday who was pruning out some trees and it just had overgrown mess and you think, man, that's a lot of work, it is. But guys, I want to remind you what the scripture says. Did you see what it says? For those who are in him, he prunes back. You know when you properly prune a tree, what is that going to do to it in the end? It's going to make it stronger. 
It's going to make it better. It's going to make it more fruitful. It's going to make it more faithful. That is God's purpose in your life. His purpose is not to transform you into the world's best secretary, teacher, mom, grandma, dad, father, wrestler, whatever you are, brain surgeon. He's not working to give you health, wealth, and prosperity and success. God's purpose in your life is that he may look at your life and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come into my kingdom. Thank you for serving me. That's what it's all about at the end of the day. But yet we make it more than that. God created us. He's the gardener. He's great at growing grapes and fruit in our lives. And God has determined that when we live and where we live is where he will use us. Some of us always think, man, if I just, if I could find the right church, if I could find the right preacher, if I could ride the right spouse, the right children, the right whatever, then I could serve Jesus. Well, you know what? God often grows you in the most difficult places right where you are, doesn't he? We often don't like the circumstances he plants us in, and sometimes we find ourselves saying, Father, what in the world are you doing in my life? Why have you put me in this situation? Why am I really here? But I have some good news for you. God knows what he's doing. He's the master gardener. What happens to you is not by accident. It's not by luck or incident, but by providential appointment. God has set it all up for your good. It's about God, not geography. It's about the Lord, not your location. It's about where, not about where you are, but about whose you are in Jesus Christ. It's not about the land. It's about, it's not what's in the land. It's what's in the man. Well, God, if you just put me in a, look, there's exodus of people happening, even within our own family right now, where people are going to Christian holy huddles in cities around the nation because they don't like to live in places that Christ is not lifted up. Guys, guess what? You can go live in your Christian huddle the rest of your life, and you can have people who think like you and act like you and talk like you. But if you're not producing spiritual fruit in your life, I don't care what city you move to, under what preacher you go to, if you're not seeing this in your life, it doesn't matter. Christian, God has called you to be an ambassador where you are, not where you hope to be. For some of you, that may mean God is growing you in the midst of a job that you just hate to the high hills. For some of you, that's a history of your family that you look over and think, how did I ever get out of this place alive? For some of you, that's a spouse you married who hates the Lord and you love the Lord. God has called you not to separate from them. I don't know, but I can tell you God's put you where you need to be. The question is, are you embracing that he's an expert at producing fruit in your life wherever you are? And can I say a word about church hopping for a second? Sometimes the best church you have is the one you're in, even despite the people pointing at myself, despite the leadership, despite everything else. Look, if they're preaching false doctrine, get out of there. But if they are teaching God's word, even if they're a country bumpkin preacher that can't get his, can't even count to three, I'm on my third point, you know, one of these today, I don't care. If he's teaching God's word and God's called you to that church, you stay. So many people in this pandemic have thought their whole life has to be upended because they were locked down for six weeks, and that includes leaving churches that God has called them to to go find a place that scratches their itch, and often that itch that's to be scratched is not a good one. Be very careful about where you question God. Let me put it another way. God uses fertilizer. It's stinky, dirty, nasty, but it's necessary, and without fertilizer, without hard times in your life, painful experiences and difficult relationships, you would not grow. Amen? You would not grow. I want you to know that. Secondly, I want you to see, 
That's the main, main point. Second, I want you to see this, is you need to recognize in your good works that Jesus Christ is the true vine. Jesus Christ is the true vine. At this point, Peter has come to Jesus before this and said, Lord, I'll go with you wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do, and I'll go wherever you want me to go. But Jesus has also told him that, Peter, you're going to deny me. And so in verse 3, he's repeating what he already told them in John 13. Look at John 15, 3. Look back at your Bible. He says, already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Friends, the only way we recognize that Christ is in charge of our lives is we remember the gospel itself. We remember that he has spoken to us and drawn us to himself. If you were a vine in the Old Testament, it was not a good thing. But I want you to know, and Amy will put this up on the screen, is that Jesus is the center of the gardener's plan. He's the center of it. So often in our lives, we forget that the most simple answer often is the best one, isn't it? If I ask you in a Sunday school class, what is the answer to the question? You say, God, Jesus, salvation, or Bible, nine times out of 10, you're probably going to get the answer right. If you've been in a Sunday school class, you know that's true. And it's true in our spiritual lives. We sometimes forget what verse 3 is telling us. We forget that Jesus has cleansed us from all our sins. We forget that he has truly made us new in our hearts. And so we go to other places. We think if we find the right book, or we find the right strategy, or we find the right time of the day, or we find the right whatever, that we are going to grow like a rocket shooting out of the, uh, out of the, with all its booster packs, all the Nelson stuff. I'm trying to think of all the terms. Nelson's going to correct me after this for all the rocket terminology. But you shoot out of the gate like a rocket, and you think, man, if I just had all these things right. And we get so busy doing all these other things, and yet Christ is missing in the center of it. He reminds them here, that's exactly what Israel did. Psalm 80, Isaiah 5, Jeremiah 2, Ezekiel 9, Hosea 10, etc., etc., etc. Many of the Old Testament passages were talking about God and Israel, about how Israel was the wild vine that God had to cut off. In fact, by the time of Christ, the vine had become the national symbol of Israel. It was their bald eagle, if you will. It was on their coins. It was on their temple. It was on everything. And so when they heard this vine terminology, when they looked at verse 3 and they heard this passage and they go to verse 3, already you were clean because the word I've spoken to you, they had to come to grips with it. Is this really the one who's come? Is he really the one? When Jesus called himself the true vine, his disciples immediately would associate himself with Israel. But I want you to know if Jesus is not at the center of everything you do as a Christian, you're missing the mark. And church, we can miss the mark on that as well. We can get so busy here doing lots of things. And I'm so grateful. We had a crew yesterday trying to secure up that barn door, that, that goofy barn door that we've had like 12 contractors out for. No one wants to fix because it's a lot of work. Thank you guys and gals for helping that yesterday. And that's all good stuff. But at the end of the day, if we forget that we have been cleansed from our sin, then we forget the very truth of what Jesus came to do. What did Jesus come to do, guys? He came to save you from your sin so that you might make much of him. And Jesus is the source of the branch's power. Amy will put that up. Jesus is the source of the branch's power. You know, it's like that little mouse who was crossing a bridge over a very deep ravine, and he was on top of the back of an elephant. I don't know how that worked because if you watch, you know, what is that, Dumbo? They're scared of mice. You know that. The story goes the mouse was riding on the back of the elephant, 
as they crossed the bridge, it shook under the weight of the elephant. Think Indiana Jones here kind of thing with an elephant and a mouse. I know your mind's weird like mine. Get that in. But when they got to the other side, the mouse looked at his huge companion and said, boy, we really shook that bridge, didn't we? That's how we often feel when we're walking with God. We're like a mouse with the strength of an elephant. So much so that after crossing life's troubled paths, we say, God, we really shook that bridge, didn't we? But we must not lose sight of what he is saying here. We can no more lift a finger up in our lives except by the power of God than can we produce spiritual fruit in our lives. And it's a reminder that if you are truly a Christian, everything you do must be done in Jesus' name. Loving your spouse to the glory of God. Studying to the glory of God, young people. You got a professor who drives you nuts with the amount of homework he or she gives. You study until God is glorified through your study. Don't be like that guy that shows up. Oh, God's got my back. I haven't studied anything. I got to get an A and you didn't get an F and you blame God. That's not how that works. You study. Our lives would be fruitful and productive. But friends, I want to remind you that we cannot produce fruit on ourselves. Romans 3 teaches us we are sinners. Ephesians 2 teaches us that without Christ, we're dead in our sins. We are, our minds are sinful. Our eyes are lustful. Our tongues are poisonous. Our necks are stiff. Our hearts are cold. Our hands are bloody. And our feet are quiff, quick to run to mischief. And if we forget that Jesus is the source of everything, in verse 3, that he has saved us with all power, then we've missed it all. Look, I want to be a godly husband, and I might most definitely do that, but without God's help, I cannot do it. I want to be a God-pleasing father. Without the Lord's help, I cannot do it. If I want to be a Christ-like pastor and be faithful without Christ working in my life, I cannot do it. So I want you to ask yourself a question, Christian, this morning. Are you walking in your power to grow in Christ, or are you, a, are you walking in the power of what God has? Because notice what verse 4 says. He says in verse 4, you've been cleansed. Remember the reason you do it, but abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. What does it mean to abide? It means to be still. It means to remain. It means to, to be a part of it. It means to be a part of Christ. So often when we think of our, our Christianity, we think so much about being busy for Christ, but oftentimes we forget about just sitting and thinking. When's the last time you just took a moment when everything else was still and just thank the Lord for being Lord of your life, abiding in Him? What does this mean? It means that you take time to really consider what Christ has done for you. How many of y'all have been saved for more? How many of y'all have been a Christian for more than half of your life? I did not ask your age. Half your life, you've been a Christian. How many for most of your life have been a Christian? How many of you came to know Christ when you were a little bitty, not whatever, you were, you were a kid, right? How many of y'all? Good chunk. I'd say at least 30, 40% raised my hands. I can't see you guys outside and definitely can't see online. Nelson can, but I can't. Raise your hand in the chat if that's what you do. But you understand, when you recognize that Jesus is the true vine, you remember that he's held you every step of the way. Friends, with Christ, all things are possible. I just encourage you today. Are you remaining in him? Are you abiding in him? Is your relationship with him the source of your life? Or is it just something you do on Sunday? I mean, really think about that. Because that's what it comes down to. Let's close with this. The very last thing, and Amy will put it up there is we remember that you're just a branch. Look at verse 5. He says here, what do you do with your good works? How should we view these? He tells you in verse 5. 
He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. One simple prayer this week is, Lord, I don't know what you have for me today, but I want to do it in your strength. I am still young enough that I can do a lot of things in my strength, even as a pastor. I will tell you visiting one certain hospital, KU Med, if you've ever had to go to KU Med recently, you've basically walked a marathon to get to the room. You've all been there before lately, and you've probably driven through a NASCAR race just to find the last parking spot on the very top. If you've been there lately, you know what I mean. It's not like Liberty Hospital where you drive up like, oh man, there's like five from the door. It's not a complaint, it's just reality. But I can feel so spiritual about myself. Man, I walked so far to see this person and forget that every step I take, every breath I take is God's. I can do nothing apart from Him. I mean, really, when is the last time that you picked up a glass of water and said, I drink this to the glory of God? Everything in our lives is based in Him. And church, I want to remind us of that this morning. We are just the branches. We don't get to call the shots of how we grow or when we grow. That's God the Father's job. What is our job? Paul told you in 1 Corinthians 3, didn't he? He said, I planted, Apollos watered, but who made it grow? God made it grow. I would pray that every chair here would be filled someday to the glory of God. That every parking spot out there, we had to go to Steve at the very last of the day and say, Steve, where do we put all these cars? And he said, park them on the grass. In the mud, Steve? Yeah, park them in the mud. There's so many here. Friends, our call is not to see fruit. Our call is to trust the fruit grower no matter when he brings it about. Church, I would ask you to continue to pray for revitalization in our church spiritually, that we grow closer to him. We are just a branch. I did a reference call for one of our former interns, Taylor, the other day, and I talked to a pastor who was probably our pastor, a, a lay pastor of a church of about 20 in, in, in rural Des Moines. And I asked if I could share this. He said yes. And the old man said, well, Taylor's a young guy. He's like 24. And we're a bunch of old people. We're like 65. Sorry, those are his words, not mine. You can go whatever. He said, do you think if we bring a young guy in that young people will come? an honest question from a faithful man. And I said, brother, I think we both know the answer to that question, don't you? Just because there's someone young or youngish in the pulpit does not mean that younger people will come. What if Taylor gets all this training and, and, and we do all this, do you think we'll grow? Brother, I don't know. I have no clue. And I'm not to presume on what the sovereign will of God is. But what's your call? To be faithful. Lord, whatever is in front of me this day, take it. Whatever you have for me this day, give me the strength to bear it. Lord, whatever I face, give me the wisdom. And Lord, help me. Give me the patience to go through it. Amen? You pray for that young church, that, that young, the young church, right, in rural Des Moines. I think Taylor's going to get the job. He, remember Taylor? He was here a couple years ago. Great young man. We're, Lane, we're going to talk about you when you're gone too, brother. You wait. You get there. But church, I just want you to remember this. Our lives are to be marked in such a way that we are different than everyone else to the glory of God. Is your life marked that way? Have you lost your track? And church, have we been marked that way? Or have we gotten off track as well? Will you pray with me this morning? Let's go before our Lord. Father, as we come to you, this passage can be much more eloquently exposited and, and, and said and talked about and preached. 
Lord, for this simple-minded man, I think the one takeaway is simply this. As we answer the brother's question who had this, what should we do with our good works? Is, Lord, you are the ultimate source of everything we do. We don't sit back in our lazy boy and kick up our feet and turn on the TV and you just grow us like Christ-likeness. There's a time for rest, we know, Lord. Your son even did that. There's a sin we have in our churches. It's probably that we don't do that more often than we should, to take a rest, take a Sabbath, take a day. But, Father, in all of our busyness, in all the things we're called to, to do in this life, in American culture, around the world, wherever we are, may we remember, Lord, that you are the vine. And, Father, that you are, your son is the vine and you are the, the grower, the, 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 the tender of that vine. So, Father, help us. Father, when we go out in our own strength, when we talk in our own eloquence, when we share in our own wisdom, when we plan in our own devices, Lord, may it be that you turn every one of those on their heads so that we would see once again that apart from you, we can do nothing. But Father, I thank you that we can even play a part. Lord, you could have just saved everyone you wanted to save and sent us all to heaven, but you didn't call us to that. You called us to be in this world, a world that is full of violence and strife and just junk all the time. Lord, help us to shine as we ought to as lights on a hill. Help us to be those ambassadors for Christ, as Corinthians calls us to. Father, help us to be uh, the, the, the sweet-smelling aroma of 2 Corinthians, to some death, but to many life. Father, let us not forget the basics of what you called us to, is to make us more like Christ and to point people back. Father, we know we're not saved by what we do, but may what we do in Jesus' name show that you alone have saved us by faith alone in your Son's name alone. Father, these are things we know, but often it's the easiest things that slip by, even the most profound of churches, the most sweet of people, and the most faithful of brothers and sisters. Recalibrate us this morning by your spirit, Lord, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Do you join us in standing as we sing this morning?